When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot coming to you at a different night. We're usually live on Wednesdays with the Staples Show. The Bills are playing on Monday Night Football this week, so we move things back a day. Thursday night, Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast coming back into your life. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this Kansas City Chiefs game tonight because I think it's one of those games, Ryan, where it's good to kind of do uh, a three or four days later uh, deep dive back into things. And for that, we bring in Ali Connolly, uh, who did an absolute superb job this week breaking down, you know, not only this game and what the Bills did against Kansas City and the kind of fun way that Brian Dable and this offense changed things up from what they did in the first four four weeks. The the link is in the bio uh, or in the uh, description of this uh, episode. Go check it out. You can read it as we're going along here. Ali, welcome into the show, man. Thanks for having me. You have a Substack. Tell people a little bit about that and kind of how you landed here and what and what, what you got, what you're going up, what you're uh, up to, what you're doing. Yeah, the Substack is accessibly nerdy football stuff, right? So people will notice I have a weird voice, right? So I'm a guy who was born in England, lived in America, um, and I worked for NFL scouting services and then for a college as a recruiting analyst for six years. I did that. Um, so I am, in essence, a scout. That was my day job. And then I morphed into being a writer. So I try not to, as best I can, bludgeon you over the head with, aren't I the smartest guy in the world? Here are all the fun scouting terms. The idea is to make it accessible for the person to understand what's going along. And if they can go to the bar the next week and drop in three terms to make themselves look pretty smart, that is, that's kind of the point of the thing is that you just enjoy it. You embrace the fun stuff of the game, maybe pick on some things you're not missing. So you said, yeah, it's a Substack. It's uh, readoptional.substack.com. Come and have a try. Have a fun time, man. I, I mean, I do this with this one free piece a week, right? And I've never had anything really blow up quite to the level of the, these Bills fans. I was telling you guys beforehand, anytime you write about the Bills, that the interaction is just bonkers. People love it. And they particularly love being covered, I think, in this way, because I'm not sure oftentimes they, they quite get, they are more now because of Alan, obviously. They quite necessarily get the, the level of detail they often deserve. Yeah, and, and you know, Bills fans are still celebrating days after this big win on Sunday Night Football. And speaking of celebrating, whether you're celebrating at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. I want to start off with just the overarching premise of the piece. And, you know, it was almost like a bait and switch, you know, that Brian Dable pulled off uh, to start the season. He comes out over the course of the first four months 
very vanilla, very much what you wrote about where it looked a lot like what they were doing last year. And then he flipped things around against Kansas City, went completely different. Take us inside what you've seen on film and how he was able to get that job done against Kansas City on Sunday. Incredibly impressed. I think what is important to know is it's not as if he just found new stuff, you know, that they've never done before. This was, they ran this stuff two years ago uh, and three years ago, and it was mostly a disaster. That stuff got them in trouble all the time. So he just went and re got that stuff, and it was perfect for this game plan, right? They become so spread out, so isolated. And this is not a negative thing. Uh, Bill's fans got really upset at me for some reason because I've been doing all, all podcasts for the last few weeks saying how, as you said, vanilla, how, um, how small the playbook is, how they don't really run anything. And people get upset about that. And it's an interesting one because it's like, why do you feel the need to be the most expansive team in the league? Like we could pull up Mike Nolan's defensive playbook from San Francisco now. And it is, is, is like a crazy professor. It's so long. And those teams stunk. They were really bad. What Dayball did was like, Josh, you tell me everything you like. And we have Stefan Dix. So everything is good in the world when you have Stefan Dix, right? He completely reveals the coverage. No one wants to single him up. You can run Everything isolated, which coaches love to run isolated stuff. You get high percentage throws when you run isolated plays. You don't have to let things slowly <laughs> develop. Um, so they they basically, for the first four weeks of the season, ran their traditional spread stuff, as you said, vanilla, <laughs> relied a lot on Stefan Diggs, relied a ton on option routes, reading middle field open, middle field close. We'll run the same picture four or five times in a row even, and we'll just let the guys read it out and go make plays down the field. And then he comes to Kansas City and says, well, let's completely reverse that. We're going to go super condensed. We're going to get really big. You know, they, they barely used any kind of heavy formations for those first few weeks. I mean, even the 11 personnel stuff is fraudulent, right? It's Dawson Knox, and he's not really a, a tight end. You might move him around. They might use him as the Y, and he, you know, he waggles across the formation. He seals a guy, but it's not really blow you off the ball blocking. Then they bring Gilliam in against the, the Chiefs. Those first two drives, they say, we are mashing the ball down your throat. Josh is a true running threat, as in keeping the ball. This is not reading. These are designed power runs where we can overpower you at the point of the attack, or we can just get a plus one or plus two to the edges they did a couple of times. As one-off plans go, you know, sometimes it's hard to deduce what's the play call or what's the game plan. You know, those two things are often separate. What is just the quarterback being great? What is an option route? This was a pretty clear evidence of we want to change what we did in the playoffs against these guys. Let's not show them everything up front in the first weeks. We can we can hammer some of these teams by being vanilla. And they did slowly trickle it in. If you go back through slowly over the weeks, they added one or two in per week, but then they, they dropped the mother load, obviously, on Sunday night. Hmm. You know, Ali, you alluded to it, the schedule. Uh, leading up to this Kansas City game, Buffalo's previous three opponents have been the Miami Dolphins, a team that they've had a lot of success uh, against in the in the past few years, Washington football team, and then obviously the Houston Texans, uh, not, not exactly world beaters. How much did it benefit the Bills to have that lineup, that trio ahead of this game? Yeah, and, and most teams, you know, they game plan the, the the moment the season ends, particularly if you know everyone's coming back. I know they had some Dave all stuff about Willie, won't he go? By that point, he probably would have known, I would, I would guess. So I would imagine they would have looked at the thing. They, they, they wouldn't have known exactly who they were playing, but they knew that obviously that who was going to be on the schedule. 
Um, I imagine they figured out really quickly that's like, let's try and get to that. The Steelers kind of caught them flat footed because the way they defend what they're, what they're doing, which is a lot of it is let's just play boom or bust and pick the 15 things that we think we run best. And we're going to bet that our guys are better than you because they have a perfect one, two, three fit of the receivers. They have one of, if not the best deep ball throwers in the league. He's certainly been the best in the league this year. Let's let them guys figure it out for us. Now, to to stop that, you obviously you get into a too deep shell. You maybe muddy it a little bit by moving guys in weird ways. That's what the Steelers did, and they they caught them out. This thing is going to boom or bust throughout the season. Someone will catch you out every now and then because they'll just defend that simple stuff, um, and you'll lose games. And that's what happened to them in week one. And then other times, you will boom every play, every other play, and you will demolish people. I liked a lot of stuff that you wrote in the story. Uh, I, I thought it was uh, really um, observant of, of what's been going on with this team. As two guys that cover this team every day for 365 days of the year, you know, sometimes that you know view from the outside doesn't always tend to line up with a lot of things that we're seeing. But one of the things I, I a bunch of things that you wrote, but one thing that really stood out uh, was a line that you had. That uh, we were we were joking about uh, before the show. Uh, even their eleven personnel package was somewhat of a sham. Dawson Knox, the team's tight end, who is certifiably frisky and is in the midst of a breakout year, is a little more than a big big, big bodied wide receiver. And you know what's so great about the breakout year of Dawson Knox uh, for the Bills' offense is it's almost, and we're going to talk about this later in the show. It's almost allowed the Bills to kind of float out other things that teams have to worry up. Well, because of the success of that early on, I mean, really outside of the one game against Washington, Cole Beasley has been invisible. I mean, the snap count is down, you know, that that's gotten a lot of uh, attention this week. He de- apparently deactivated his Twitter account uh, after the game on Sunday. Uh, we haven't heard from him yet. Again, we'll talk about that later in the show, but Knox specifically, is this a, like one thing that we've said, Ryan, we've said over and over again that the tight end position in this offense doesn't necessarily can't really be a centerpiece or or among that you know that uh, have a seat at the head table if you will but not Knox is kind of proving that wrong here with the way that this thing started right yeah I think what they can do with him now it's really just if he's going to be good let's just say for, for argument's sake he Seems like he's pretty good, right? <laughs> what they've done in their three by one stuff, that's the most interesting piece of this, where, as I said in that piece, and I show some examples, they'll flex him out as the ISO guy, right? If you run three by one normally and you have Stefan Diggs, okay, not, not even just a good play. You got Stefan Diggs, you got top three receiver in the league. You say, you go stand out there as far wide as possible. And if they send two guys, we know it's one-on-one on either side of the field. That's easy pickings. If they send one guy over there, we throw you the ball. Everyone goes home happy. That's usually what you would do. What they can do is say, hey, Dawson, you go over there because now you're good. And so they're going to have to send a different body type, right? It's not just going to be a corner. So it starts compromising their coverage principles more. And on the other side where Dayball has been really interesting is you would normally put, if you put someone else other than the star on the backside of the play, right? You would normally put the star then as the outside guy in the three or as the very inside guy in the three, because that's the most dangerous position in the sport, is playing from the slot. There's just so many more angles, so many more things you can do. So you would stick Stefan Diggs there and say, well, it's really tough then for them to bracket him properly and then worry about the one guy. Dayball says, no, I care not for any of these principles and rules you're telling me I'm supposed to. I'm putting him in the middle, and they can figure that out. And now I can run all these three-man interesting things, and the guy that's going to pop open is going to be one of the three best receivers in the league. So go and deal with that. So I just think he's having that. It, it, 
as you can tell just by the excitement of my voice as someone outside of it, it's like that opens up so much for you to have that guy, even if he was just functional, that would be such a huge schematic upgrade of what you can just do now without really having to change anything at all on the playbook. You just say, Hey, in on this page, now Dawson does that. And Stefan, you're going to go in this spot. We change no call, but now to the defense, it looks like there's an entire package of 30, 40 new plays out there. Um, it's a, to, to me, if, if he is going to maintain even this level, he, he can just drop down a little bit from this. This is outrageous to start the season. Mm. Um, it's just, it opens up so much for them. You know, it's pretty scary when you think about this offense, the fact that they haven't really utilized Gabriel Davis, who had seven touchdowns as a rookie. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie was obviously very important in terms of moving him around as he has been throughout this season, but he hasn't been utilized much as a receiver either. But what I really wanted to talk about is another receiver that has really stood out so far this season, Emmanuel Sanders. What have you seen from him so far on tape this year in terms of how quickly he has developed a rapport with Josh Allen? It's been pretty good. I mean, I, I didn't know there would be a, this much juice left. It, it is quite surprising. And they don't ask a great deal of him. I think that is when you're running something that, as I said before, I mean, we can call it bland, vanilla. I just further to think that they know what they want to run and they option so much that they're just, it's just basic in one sense, but it can look complex if they, these guys start breaking their routes at different points. What you've added there is a guy who's seen it you know, seen everything, can play on the fly. And as you mentioned there, I think there is that wink-wink chemistry has, has happened quicker than you would normally expect. That that has been a real surprise. And they slot in so perfectly as a one, two, three. I know what you're saying there, Matt, about Beasley's playing time is down and then maybe someone else will come into to that spot. But to know you have one of the best zone finding receives in the league, you can just go and find the spot that the quarterback already trusts him and the other guy is probably demanding some kind of help from somewhere else. It's just the way that the puzzle pieces fit together. Like, you know, Dallas is destroying everyone. Everyone would love to have three number one receivers like those guys. But it isn't bad to know you've got the one and the two and they kind of slot into the traditional X, Z, all all this stuff that they slot into it perfectly without having to compromise or figure out how to balance that. So for Josh, I think that there was apprehension for lack of a better term after week one and to see what the Pittsburgh Steelers did after a full off season coming off of the, you know, MVP caliber season that he had a year ago to see what they did. And, you know, the, the, how hard everything seemed for this offense. I think that there was some fear, you know, naturally among bills fans. And now I still think even sitting here right now, since then the four games they've played since then, they really haven't played a, top 10 defense probably in that stretch. And so, you know, what he's done, I think still think you got to bake some of that in, but you, you uh, wrote about um, his success and you, you use another great term, redonkulous. Every time, anytime you could get that into your copy, you won that article. Like that's a W. Um, but you said he's missed on 33 of his 74 throws over 10 yards, but his completions have netted an average of 21.5 yards, which is crazy. During the first three weeks of the season, Allen was iffy missing as much as he hit, even as the Bills racked up points and wins. But that was the whole point, that up and down nature is built into the model. The Bills aren't trying to run anything fancy. Uh, It's stable knowing that they have better players than you and pushing that idea to its limits. So I guess that point is something I want to dive into you, dive into a little bit with you is it's almost like, they know that Allen is going to be kind of up and down as a passer at times because of the chances that he takes, the difficult throws that he attempts. But when you're hitting as many as they are, they'll take that. 
Yeah, it, it's just avoid the disaster play, right? And not necessarily throwing the ball. It's the spinning around 15 yards in the backfield. And it's a sack. And then we just killed that drive. Now, what are we even doing out here? If you can just get that out of here and that's a throwaway, that, that's such a huge upgrade from where he's been in the past. I, I really think like, I mean, they tried when he got there to install his offense. What did you run in college? Bring us all the stuff you enjoyed. I can run that stuff. No problem. I ran that with Tom Brady in New England. Great stuff. And it just never worked. And so I do think they've just slowly paired it back and paired it back and said he is at his best when he can just read it out himself, bounce around, make plays, have fun, throw the ball. So let's lean into that. And if you can cut out the, the terrible mistakes, the, the real game killer ones, and you can probably do one a game, to be fair, because he's hitting so many at such a high clip, they're more likely to win than not. So yeah, I, I mean, can you maintain that level? Maybe because as you mentioned, that it's it, there's zero efficiency. It's purely, I mean, the league is an explosive leagues right now. It's like, if you can hit five and only give up three, you probably win the game. That's the whole Packers model too. I mean, they just hit five explosive plays. We probably win the thing. And I think feel like the bills have leaned into that just about as much as anyone, both in just the way they, they set up and the fact that the, what they've done with this guy which is decide to just lean fully in to the boom bust nature of it and just hope and anticipate that he will steadily boom more than he busts you know Ali, you had so many good one liner liners in that article uh when you were talking about reggie gilliam you talked about the fact that the bills didn't just uh do botox they did like a, a full body transformation loved that for for the fans that maybe didn't notice what exactly did Reggie Gilliam bring to that offense on that Sunday night football game against the Chiefs? Yeah, so it's bulk and size, but the main thing is just adding gaps. The more gaps you can add in the run game, the more terrifying it is for a DC. I see every show I go on, I have to say this to people, like it's such a passing league now, such an emphasis is on the passing league. People, if you talk to a coach, they only care about the run fit. They wake up in the middle of the night worrying about the run fit and they get terrified when the run fit is one way pre-snap, then somebody dares to move and now we have to readdress the run fit and oh my God, they've snapped the ball and we might be in trouble. So when you can put a move piece like that on the field, I mean, you see what they're doing with use check. You see even the Cowboys are using Conor McGovern, you know, they bring an extra lineman in and they move him around being able to add an extra gap to the run game against a defense that has no idea how to stop the run anyway. And they probably spent all week like, okay, guys, so they look like this, they dress like this, they're running nothing in the run game, we've got it down, don't worry. And they bring a whole new piece onto the field and you can insert him anywhere along the line or add an extra gap along the line. It's a nightmare for anyone. You can just run way more complex stuff with an extra body on the field. It's, as I said, it brings you an extra gap and the, just the different type of stuff you can do in terms of arcing, ceiling, pin pull, all the Kyle Shanahan stuff. You need an extra piece to do that. And you ideally need it to be a piece that's small enough to and athletic enough, really, they can be bigger, I guess, to move and flow to the second level really, really fast, particularly if they're coming off the end or in that wing position, which is what they did with him. You know, he, he aligned all over the shop. It was like, I, I couldn't believe that they just, they pulled him out of it. I know he's played a couple of snaps this season, but if they're going to filter that into the system and they're going to kind of diversify over the course of this thing, it is going to be so hard to understand what you're going to be facing that week. And then you can jump from one package to the other mid game, right? If you feel like you've caught them and you can either go tempo with kind of the base stuff, well, then that's a nightmare. If you're struggling, maybe you can't get the run game going, or let's maybe go to what we call a jumbo or a heavier package and let's start adding some more of this gap scheme stuff and see if, if they fancy it when we start pulling guys and moving guys. 
somebody that, you know, when we watched the game on Sunday and we did our post game show, somebody that we didn't talk a ton about, but that really popped for me watching it back. And I think he's had just an unbelievable four game stretch here to really establish himself, you know, gain some confidence. That's Zach Moss, the running back, um, former third round draft pick out of Utah. He's coming this year, first game inactive. And in the four games since, you know, which Sean McDermott talked about, maybe that was a, an indirective message received that, you know, take, make it, uh, take advantage of every opportunity that you get. He's performed. He's averaging, you know, only four yards a carry, but, you know, he's got three touchdowns on the ground, one through the air. And that's where I think he's been most impressive. Ollie, last year in 13 games, he had 14 catches for 95 yards. This year, he already has got eight for 94 and those were big time receptions and runs after the catch on Sunday night and big spots. What have you seen or liked, should I say of Moss so far this year? The big thing with him is the wiggle, right? The guy just makes plays. Um, what would I say? I seen about him that they, they do a ton of clear out stuff. And Alan is not necessarily the best at, at feeling that, which is basically like clear the top of the, that, that whole thing. If he blows the top off the coverage and all that jazz, that is clear out one guy. So we can work the guys underneath, right? Usually that's the, the, the mid zone. If you have to work back to this underneath zone, that's where Zach Moss is doing, is doing his damage and doing his work. And as you said, doing stuff after the catch, um, he's not usually good at that. So if that is just a comfort thing, you, you don't know, I don't get to talk to the guy. If that's all it is, then I, again, you know, I don't want to sound too hyperbolic, but if you bring an element where he's now cool taking the outlet, that really is a game changer. And that's a game changer, particularly if you can then change personnel and maybe bring in some more tempo. Season expectations for the Buffalo Bills, for the, for the fans watching at home, is this a Super Bowl roster? Yeah, I mean, it's a Super Bowl defense. You know, we haven't discussed them. I mean, that that unit is out of its mind right now. I cannot tell you watching that, watching that team against the Chiefs, how poorly they were set up schematically up front to do what the Chiefs want to do. They drew up the defense Andy Reid would like to see in the run game and said, we don't care. We will just destroy you at the point of attack and then just did it. No problem. Ed Oliver destroyed them. And, and they're rotating like, what, is anyone playing more than 6% of snaps on defense? I think I was looking before. It's like everyone's at 40%, right? They just rotate mm-hmm. too deep. No mm-hmm. problem. You go to other teams and they're playing 70, 80%. Miles Garrett plays 90% of snaps. Mm-hmm. That is all going to add up. That not only brings you, I mean, so much obviously positional diversity and what you can do with different sub packages. And one guy's only got to learn one role. So then we can roll that in one package. You know, you can just, you know, it's a force multiplier. And then over the course of the season, well, now you learn that package next week. So we, they don't get a beat on what's coming the following week. There's so much they can do up front defensively and then not get fatigued because they're rotating. So to me, it's like, I think that defense is good enough to carry them if they just had an okay offense. I, I think that is such a championship caliber defense. And yet they have this offense that I think is just going to progressively get better because they seem to be adding stuff to it as the season goes along. I, I'm fascinated to see what they think they're going to look like in January. I would imagine it's more of what we saw last Sunday than it was the first few weeks. I do think they'll move more to some condensed stuff and having their back pocket that as the league has developed and decided this is how we're defending all this condensed stuff that we're seeing around the league, we know we can flip back to if needed the spread stuff. So I found something that you said in there really interesting. And you mentioned Ed Oliver specifically, and he's somebody around here that consistently gets that, um, 
not doing enough, hasn't shown enough yet. Almost like uh, I almost get a vibe that some fans already consider him a bust. He's not somebody that's really popping in terms of stats. I mean, he hit two tackles, a QB hit, and a tackle for a loss the other day. But you're saying that he's popping on film there. Take me into that a little bit because I I go over to Pro Football Focus and they have him as the 11th best graded uh, defensive player for the Bills on on Sunday at a 56.9, which I believe is below their just average level player for a game. So what, what did you see? Well, like I said, I mean, he's completely disadvantaged in the run game. The the way so the way a spread to run team like the Chiefs setups is everything is to bulldoze the B gap. All right. A lot of the league is either now the outside zone stuff or you get the Patriots, which is a weird almost dinosaur like outlier where something like 60 percent of their runs are designed to go in the A gap. But most people are trying to run if they're running that spread to run stuff. Lamar, the Chiefs, they're going to the B gap. The Chiefs set up. Sorry, the um, the Bills play base four three over right four down linemen. The three tech, the the defensive tackle goes to the strength of the formation. So he is already away from the gap that they're going to target. Same with the one technique; he has to go a long, long way to get to the correct gap, and they can double him effortlessly and climb to the next level. So you're asking a guy to jump down a gap where he knows the ball's gonna be. So uh, that's really difficult because you know they're going there and they know you want to get there. So it makes it very easy for them to just clean you out and climb to the next level. So, I, I mean, I just thought he was blowing up so much of that stuff and making people bounce. I mean, they only had, I know they ran the ball well, but if you go through it, the number of scramble yards is is crazy. And the last thing I'll say, so much of their pass rush production, those young guys have been brilliant. I'm sure that's a big topic of conversation, but a lot of this is schemed up. They do that front stuff that the the load front, which is the big thing in the NFL at the moment. One guy on one side of the formation, you stand someone up over the nose tackle, which I think Jerry Hughes does it mostly for the Bills, which is just a by the by a signal from the the coaching staff who they think their weakest pass rusher is, which is interesting because Jerry Hughes is pretty damn good. You stand him up, so the so you have one guy on one side of the formation, a guy over the nose, right, stood up, and you put everyone else on the other side of the formation. So now the line is going, well, someone has to block the guy over the center or account for him. He might drop out. But the rest of the line, so they're, they're scheming already a double team, right? So you, you can't slide the protection to all the other guys on the other side of the formation because you've taken the center out by design. That guard cannot work around to the guys on the loaded side, right? So you have to double team at Oliver. Now they run all kinds of funky and cool stunts and twists and games off that. That's what the, that front is for. But they've already built in an overload to one side, the formation that cannot physically be blocked if Hughes is in the rush. So they're almost sacrificing the brilliance of Ed Oliver, sticking him out at the right end spot and saying, we know they need to double team you. So I I don't know if people can see that during the game or not. It's pretty apparent he's being they they are actively asking him to gobble double team so that everyone else or they will always get a free rusher in the low front. So to me that's like that's a great player. You know that's what how Aaron Donald has been used for the longest time in LA is your you are there almost as an aura. People are scared of you. So if your coach is saying, let's install some of the Ram stuff and we're going to use you as Aaron Donald, I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good sign. So, Ali, you know, there's obviously going to be a head coaching job in the AFC West here uh, at the end of the season with the Raiders. Based on what you saw in that game plan, the, the blueprint, so to speak, from Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier, 
both guys who drew some interest last year for the head coaching jobs. Which one do you think the Raiders would be more interested maybe in bringing in? Because, listen, you want to be able to scheme up a, a game plan twice a year to be able to knock off a team like the Chiefs when they're in your division. Yeah, I mean, I like Dable. I think he um, everywhere he's been, he's changed everything. He's purely about who I have. You know, he goes to Alabama. They run the Veer and Shoot. He's been with Tom Brady. It's all quick rhythm stuff. He comes with Josh Allen. He does all the stuff we discussed. Kind of actually synthesizes a lot of that you know, runs a best of hits album of all those little things he ran with everyone else. So I like that. I mean, but it's like that, that is nice in theory. The guy just saw talent. And then you're like, well, he's walking to a building with Derek Carr. I'm not sure that necessarily works unless they're able to pull off some crazy trade or they go into the draft. So as an overseer of a team, I'm not quite sure on Dable. I think he's got real, wade phillips vibes to me where it's like everyone wants to have him as an oc for two to three years he can help maximize your talent he moves to the next place he maximizes their talent everyone loves him he moves to the next place and everyone's always in and out because you know he's he's changing things and sometimes it looks good one week and sometimes it doesn't work the next so that's just for me i mean the only time i've ever been close to dayball i covered alabama really close that the year he was there um i just there's just a, a standoffishness uh, that, that you know that tree he comes from. That's what those guys are like. You know, it's kind of football only, um, and so they'll do things like spend 800 days game planning for the Chiefs, and that is brilliant when you go in there on Sunday night football and you embarrass them. That's excellent as a kind of overseer of a program, if you will. Um, of those options, I would yeah, I'd probably go Fraser. So we're up so close and personal to it. I, I guess there's a couple elements to it. From my perspective, I I see everything that you're saying, and I think that there are problems with you know guys that are specialized in one area and maybe don't have the the leadership abilities. And it, listen, he hasn't been in that spot, so it's it's all about projection. I think one of the things that might give him a chance to have some success as a head coach is the way that he's able to connect with his players, like hearing guys talk about him. I mean, they, Stephon Diggs comes in here and now listen. Got to preface this. Stefan Diggs coming from that situation in Minnesota, any type of positive environment was going to be good for him. But the involvement of that, that Dable allows for his playmakers. I mean, Cole Beasley says he's been in the, the league how many years coming here and being enabled to have a piece of the pie, to have a say in what they're doing. I think that Dable through maybe a lot of trial and error over the years and going through the Patriot way and then kind of figuring out ways, parts of that that do work and don't work. He's kind of landed on a place where he really builds trust and gets full acceptance from his players. That's at least my perspective of being on the beat. You know, I don't say this is a knock to him. I think one of the, his best traits is a lack of pretension, which should not be confused with a lack of ego. Um, mm-hmm. But the willingness to adapt would be right at the top of any you know, if you go running one of these search firms where for some reason they pay you $2 million to pick the coordinator of the Super Bowl team, <laughs> it's baffling to me. But if they ran that and they made you put something on paper to earn your cash that you would put their like criteria, you would put like no scandal, adaptable, right? That's that's what everyone wants. You don't want someone who's going in there as this is my way, this is how we run everything. I want a guy who's like, I want stuff that works. And that as a head coach is a great trait because then it, it filters all, all the way through the organization, right? It could be changing the DC each year. It could be after do something with special teams. If the guy is all about, let's just maximize our players and or finding the right thing that works in this kind of moment of where we're tracking where you are in the evolution of the league and saying, let's install some of this stuff because that's just where the league is at. Whether I think it looks great on a whiteboard or not, or it's what I want to run. 
I think it's going to work. That would be right at the top uh, of, the, of the criteria of things I would want from a head coach. And I think most owners would want from a head coach. So if you have that, that is a really good building block. And is, if you're saying that he's got the, the, the personable stuff with the coach, I mean, like I said, I covered him in college and that's such a different dynamic, right? He's, mm. These are not... 11 year vets who you can go back and forth with on war stories that's a completely different dynamic to having to teach a kid and maybe decide and i don't fancy calling 17 year olds all hours right. of the evening you know some guys are cut out for the league and some guys are cut out for college so um maybe that adaptability you, you square it with someone like nick siriani who is not like that at all i i, I know which kind of style of coach i would bet on Ollie Connolly, he has his own Substack X's and O's uh, to the nines. You're going to want to check this out. Ollie, before we let you get out of here, give them one more rundown of where they can find your stuff on social media. They're going to want to follow along all season long because I have a feeling that, you know, there might be some stuff for you to write about the Bills in, in January and maybe even February. Yeah, I think so. We're going to have to get into this defense because there's so much fun stuff to discuss. I know, I know. All right. Uh, yeah, the quick plugs. Ollie Connolly, the name is, is Twitter, and then it's readoptional.substack.com. If you go there and, and sign up for free, um, you get one free thing a week. It could be a podcast, could be a column, could be a video or something. You get everything you would want. And, and I say this whenever I do these podcasts, like, I'm writing about the league. So, you know, one week it might be the Eagles, but it's nothing that is about that team necessarily. It's just not the style with which I really write with. It is narrative based. So you will get the the context you need, but there'll be something in there you could take away for the bills every single week. There'll be something that you'll say, why are we not doing that? And you slam your phone on the table or you'll say, I'm really glad our coach does not do that. You guys should really go check out how the bill, how the Eagles are running their silent count. It is the weirdest thing the sport has ever produced. I do not know what's happening. And you'll be grateful that Josh Allen and the center are not running the team like that. Ali Connolly. Thank you so much. On short notice, one day turnaround, we wanted to get you in here. Great piece. You can find it uh, in the description on the YouTube page. We'll also put it on all the audio uh, platforms as well. Have a great night. Get some sleep. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. That was Ali Connolly killed it. Uh, I, I was so excited because, you know, I, and by the way, if you're if you're joining us, if you're just joining us, stay right there. We're not going anywhere. We got some stuff to talk about with this Bills team. We're going to start initial conversations on the Tennessee Titans. But a fun little programming note, Ryan, Sunday morning, we are going to do the official pregame episode preview episode. I'll be live from Nashville. You're going to want to tune in. Don't miss it. We're going to cover uh, a couple things here. We got a chance to get down to the stadium today. A lot of people were asking me yesterday about the practice situation. They moved practice back a day. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they'll travel on Sunday and play on uh, Monday Night Football, which there you go. Uh, another big uh, uh, national TV game. And it was funny hearing Josh Allen talk about that today. Um, I-, I asked him at the end of his press conference, like, all right, so what was the big difference? I mean, we talked so much about the hostile environment. You guys went in there and, you know, everything seemed to be working. And he's like, listen, we, this is a team that likes, that likes those moments, that likes the, you know, uh, the, uh, the atmosphere, et cetera. And then I asked Stefan Diggs about it and I said, all right, so how did Josh do it? Cause this is something we were talking about. And he's like, he's that guy. And when he went into that moment, he had that kind of vibe where he wanted to put the team on his back when it came to that drive. You know, in the fourth quarter, 
when the Kansas City Chiefs were kind of hanging around and it was 31 20, uh, what was it, 31 20, 11 point game in the fourth quarter. You need a drive there. And of course, there was the, you know, uh, the roughing the, the passer that, you know, who knows what happens. And Mike Florio obviously was tweeting about it. And we had a little bit of a back and forth the other day that you could find that in my Twitter mentions. That's always fun. Ryan Talbot, I thought it was interesting that Stefan Diggs, again, coming talking about his quarterback a little bit he wanted to put the team on his back on that drive he did it and he did a little bit of everything on that drive. you're not kidding he, he uses his legs to run it and i'm going to talk about that in one minute but obviously everyone was talking uh, about uh, leaping over the defender uh sneed just like you know he did years ago with anthony barr in minnesota and obviously with his arm as well it was a nice balanced drive even though everyone was talking about the leap or whatever you want to call it, and rightfully so, I went back and I rewatched that game, and I was so impressed with Josh Allen as the, a runner in general. I'm not sure that he took more than maybe one hit as a runner. Even in that first drive, uh, when he got his chunk of yards, he slid down before any Chiefs defender could make contact with him. And that's just a, a sign of growth, a sign of maturity. And, and it even happened in that drive when they ended up scoring the touchdown uh, with two Emmanuel Sanders to, to put the game away for good. He ran the ball to about the, maybe it was like the 12 or maybe it was actually today. Maybe it was the play before that. And you had two defenders closing in. I'm not going to take the hit. I'm not going to fumble. I'm not going to try to play hero ball. I'm going to take the yards the first down. I'm going to slide down to the turf. That's the sign of a franchise quarterback uh, realizing his importance to this team, realizing that as big as this win was on Sunday Night Football, the end game is playing a game in February and winning that, and, and you need to be healthy. Uh, so I was just so impressed with Josh Allen all around, obviously, uh, from the big play threat, the, the throws to Dawson Knox, Emmanuel Sanders, Stefan Diggs, the list goes on and on. He put together a, a game that maybe statistically, if you look at the final stats, it didn't look like a masterpiece. It was a masterpiece. He, he was outstanding using his arm and legs. Uh, from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Make sure you get there this weekend when you're setting up for the big Monday night football party. Or if you're going to be down in Nashville, uh, I'll be down there. I get down on uh, Saturday. We got a Sunday show on channel four. We got the Sunday show on uh, our, our podcast. I want to get into, you know, one of the big st- storylines this week, bills wise, I think has been. The uh, and I'm writing about it for the site tomorrow is the uh, snap count reduction, the reduce role, if you will, of Cole Beasley in the offense the last couple of weeks. And it started in week two when Dawson Knox, I feel like outsnapped Cole Beasley and has outsnapped him every week since. But the last two weeks, it's been it's been really dramatic. I mean, we're talking about sub 30 snaps. And if you go back to last year, I think you could count. I don't even know if there was a single game where Cole Beasley played less than 30 snaps in a game. So it's it's something that's come up today. Uh, Sean McDermott was asked about it. Josh Allen was asked about it. And so is Stefan Diggs. And here's what he had to say. Cole's been in the league for a long time. You know, even like even with last year, like, yeah, we were throwing the ball. We had drives where we throw the ball 15 times in a row. You know, it's not all, it's not like that now. You know, as far as like adjusting, we got to do what we got to do to win. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like uh, Cole's one of the older guys in the room that understands that. Of course, everybody wants more. T- 
Everybody wanted the ball. You know, you ask a receiver, what do you want? I want the ball. You know what I'm saying? And then you got so many weapons. Like, we got running backs that can carry, like, that, that can catch the ball out of the backfield, that can do X, Y, Z. So, you know, just like me and, and all the other guys, we'd be like, we can only control what we can control at this point. You know what I'm saying? As a receiver, you know, I know you want the ball, but sometimes we're going to have to throw a block out there. We're going to have to do X, Y, Z. And I look at it as, and, you know, I've been in the offenses where it's, though, you some games you get five targets, some games you get ten, some games you get three. But it's what you make with the targets. You got to uh, take advantage. And if you're not taking advantage, you only can look at yourself. So for me, I just say everybody keep that in the frame. Keep that in the forefront of your mind, just being like everybody do their job because we got to do what we got to do to win. And at the end of the day, as long as we're winning, not too many complaints. Not too many complaints. And I want to bring up one thing first and foremost, because I mentioned it on Sunday night. We talked about it after the game. It looked like Cole Beasley was frustrated on the sideline. I mean, walking around, this is something new. I mean, he came here to Buffalo. Um, I think that he came here, big reason why, because he wanted to be a big part of the offense. I think he thought he was the best slot receiver in the NFL. He wanted to be featured a little bit more. I don't think that was always the case in Dallas. And you were able to see that connection early on with Brian Dable involving him, not only in the game plan and getting him targeted, but also involving him on scheming the offense. And so I think you kind of settle into a role and then to have it kind of flip, it can be jarring. And I thought that there was some frustration there. Today, I have not seen a looser Cole Beasley all year. Walking around at the practice facility, you know, with the new haircut, walking around with a big smile on his face. You saw the uh, the, the toothless Cole, if you will, uh, missing that tooth still. For, I still got to get the story on that. But walking around after practice, st- stood around for a little bit, was working with Isaiah McKenzie and Isaiah Hodgins, was walking off the field. And it was funny. I tweeted about it. Josh was asked about Cole's reduced role. And he said, listen, he's a big part of this offense. It's a week-to-week thing. It's a game plan specific thing. And to Ollie's point earlier, there's going to be weeks where the Bills might, might, might want to put too much Cole Beasley out there because maybe they want to use him for another matchup that they think it could work more. And as he's walking off, Cole Beasley's like, he did the dab. Or, you know, I, that was probably a really bad example of it, but he does. You can hear him do it every single time on uh, the Bill hype video. Dad! Like we all did it back in school, right? Like, you know, um, I used to, what, what do we used to do uh, back in the day? Uh, we can't probably do that. So you, you get my point. I think what Diggs is saying is, listen, from week to week, I don't think Stefan Diggs is probably thrilled if he's sitting there right now with, you know, looking at his stats compared to what he did last year, the targets and everything else. And, he joked about Dawson Knox getting the five touchdowns, but there's probably everybody in this offense. When you build an offense this good, wants more, but sometimes they're just not there. It's not there to be had. Yeah, and I think you just nailed. You know, you nailed it completely. Listen, th- there's going to be games where Cole Beasley is going to be a featured part of this offense because he can get open across the middle. Uh, he can make the the plays in terms of the yards after the catch. He can get those sneaky yards. Uh, he he's going to still be focused in uh, a focal part of this offense. So there's no doubt about this. So no, I saw some questions in the comments. Is he trade bait? Uh, are the Bills thinking about getting rid of him? No, I don't believe that. I, I believe exactly what the coaching staff has said, what Josh Allen has said. It's a week-to-week league in, in its terms of the matchups. And listen, you mentioned Diggs as well. Diggs led the NFL last year in receptions and receiving yards. And there he is sitting on the podium, the, the NFL's number one receiver from one year ago, saying as long as we're winning, you know, there's not much to complain about. So you have to take that unselfish approach. Uh, Diggs in one year showed that he is among the elite of the elite. So now I think, it, you know, everything after that is all gravy. Uh, go out there, win these games, get in the playoffs, get to the Super Bowl. And if you can win a ring, that's what matters at the end of the day. 
you know, if the Bills ever win a ring, you're going to remember every single player on that team if you're a Bills fan because you've been waiting for that moment. So big picture wise, you know, you have to play unselfish football, just like Stefan Diggs said. Maybe in the moment, maybe Cole was a little frustrated on Sunday night football. You, you never know. It's it's being a competitor. Everyone wants the football in their hands. But the grand in the grand scheme of things, big picture, th- their mind is playing a game in February. We haven't talked to Cole yet. I'm not sure um, if and when we will next, just because, you know, there's, let's be honest. I mean, he's been a national headline at times this year. And, you know, what I think I take away, you know, and not knowing internally what's going on there, I can only speculate. You win a game against Kansas City, the biggest, really at this point, knowing with how this thing has been built and where they're at, it's the biggest win of this regime. In a lot of ways. Sure, the playoff wins and the division wins, like it's semantical. You could probably argue that, right? Like there's been a lot of big wins over the last three seasons, but this is a, a, a seismic shift in the division, right? So you get to the end of that game and you be Patrick Mahomes and you do it in dominant fashion. And I think in a lot of ways, this team then realizes, okay, we we were talking championship caliber. We were talking Super Bowl, but all of that talk now seems very, very real, very, very attainable. And if you're Cole Beasley and, you know, on, on a certain level, respect for at least sticking to your guns throughout this whole process, whether or not you agree with all the uh, vaccination uh, hullabaloo, for lack of a, a better term. I mean, over the course of the last couple months, you know, it has like we said back in um, April, as early as April, it has the potential to be a distraction. And to me, what Cole Beasley deactivating his Twitter account means signifies to me at this point without knowing why he did it is we have real Super Bowl aspirations and taking out a potential distraction kind of resets thing. And and seeing uh, a Cole Beasley that was so relaxed, so laid back today, I almost feel like maybe... And again, speculation, it could be a weight off taking that part of it out and letting them just focus on the football part of it. It could be freeing. It could really unlock another level of this offense. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I talked about it with Ali earlier. There's still guys, if you want to talk frustration level, and I don't think they have shown any frustration, you have Isaiah McKenzie who proved that he can be a very good slot uh, receiver. And given his opportunities last year, you have Gabriel Davis who had seven touchdowns as a rookie, and he's had a significantly reduced role. It's all for the greater good. And that's all you can ask for when you have, uh, you know, all these players on your team in terms of, you know, we can't be selfish. Your time will come. Your opportunity might come if there's an injury, this, that, or the other. Matt, real quick, I wanted to shift gears because Ali had mentioned, you know, there's so much to talk about with the defense. Uh, I would love to talk about Greg Rousseau and what you thought about him on Sunday Night Football. That's a really great question and segue. And, I, I, man, we're just the same way. Though. It's so much. I was writing down pre-game, uh, pre-episode topics, and that was one of the things I wanted to hit out. AFC Defensive Player of the Week. I, I, I got to be honest with you. That probably surprised me a little bit. It was a big-time performance in a big-time game. Um, I know the sack was kind of, um, you know, it's one of those that appear on the stat sheet. But, you know, I think a lot of people had to really rack their brains to figure out what play it was exactly where Greg Russo had the sack. Because it was, you know, Patrick Mahomes, who was basically just out in no man's land. And he slid and Russo touched him. And it was, you know, it was one of those plays. But that interception to me and his 
we've talked about him already. Like his ability in in run support has just been, uh, I think, it's something Ryan that it makes you feel like he's always going to have this base in terms of what he can do to rely on. So even when it's not like when the splashy plays might not be there to be so dynamic and hard to deal with for offensive linemen and, you know, being in, in, in throwing lanes, you know, you have that just because of the size, then it's just about really unlocking pieces. What's this going to look like in three years? Right. Hmm. Remember when Josh Allen came into the league and it was like, all right, we saw all these little like spritzes of of super talent. And then you get to this stage where you're like, okay, there's so much stuff that he has to clean up. There's so much stuff that he's got to get better at. But now, four years later, we're talking about one of the best players in his position in the league. And this this regime has shown now. Isn't it funny? We were talking about this, I think, on a show in the offseason. People were talking about Brandon Bean's draft um, resume you know, as, as the Buffalo Bills general manager and some, some real question marks, you know, at Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, guys that maybe hadn't popped yet, but man, all of a sudden you're starting to see guys, those middle round guys starting to pop in a big way. Dawson Knox, Taron Johnson, who's now this, I, by my count, the second highest paid um, nickel corner in the NFL. Those are massive franchise altering hits. You know, Dawson Knox right now, even if he doesn't do another thing this season, he's trending towards a pretty decent pay get, payday. If he, he's probably not, even if he drops off maybe by half of what his production has been, he's still going to be a, a pretty prime extension candidate. So you're talking about a guy that's now hit. And Greg Rousseau, I think has been, you know, I tweeted about it and, you know, Aaron Quinn and, and Greg, um, Tom said they do a great job over at cover one. Um, they, we joked around in, in the comments about it. I said, man, it, you know, one of the guys in, in, in our chat the other night said, it, this is this is the greatest thing about COVID. We got Greg Rousseau. And I said, yeah, it's looking like kind of a heist. And, you know, they got the semantics of it, maybe more like a shoplift. I, I said, I like that word a little bit better. But it, it is something where you're landing on a player that has so much potential and you're getting a baseline level of production that I think that you can rel- rely upon to Ali's point for a position that Sean McDermott is always going to funnel that rotation. Yeah, and then, you know, speaking of the draft picks, you have Tyler Bass, who's been Mr. Reliable as your kicker. Uh, you have Saran Neal, who had three guys on him on one special teams rep. So even those late-round guys, Dane Jackson, uh, they, they get undrafted guys, Levi Wallace, Cam Lewis. list goes on and on. This scouting staff, this the, the front office personnel, Brandon Bean, obviously, they have done their, their homework. They have done a great job in terms of restocking the shelves year in, year out, no matter where the Bills are drafting from, especially this year, drafting at uh, n- number 30. Uh, second best lineman. That's awesome. Listen, uh, but you, some, some people just they, they just need to find a way to get that shot in at Tremaine Edmonds. <laughs> I guess so. And Edmonds, I thought, had a very nice game too. But Rousseau specifically, you know, obviously everyone was talking about the interception and it was an unbelievable play, heads up play, getting the, the arm up in the right spot and then having the wherewithal to look up for it, find it and haul it in and, and bring that in because the, the Chiefs were deep in Bill's territory there. That was a game changing play. But I was so impressed with him in terms of run defense, in terms of, of the knowledge of using his length uh, to keep the tackle at bay and then. Once it came time for him to make that tackle or to get in on the play, he was able to shed the blocker, get in and make some real impact tackles in that matchup. So 
you know, he's still not polished as a pass rusher. No one's going to sit here and say that he's going to end up with 10 sacks or something this year. The two sacks that he had in, in Miami uh, were more so Epineza kind of missed on one, if not both, and he was there to clean it up. The one against Patrick Mahomes, you mentioned it already. Mahomes just kind of slid down, or so it was the right place, right time. It, it was kind of the story of him uh, also at Miami where people said, yeah, he kind of cleaned up plays where he was at. Hey, Kennedy. Um, So I'm still impressed, though, because the pass rush skills are going to get better, and he's going to learn from Addison and Hughes, uh, and and he's just going to learn in terms of learning his body as it's still – he's still kind of growing into that frame. So it's a scary thought, but Rousseau hasn't even scratched the surface on his overall game, but especially his game as a pass rusher. So a couple more things here I want to get to before we get out. On Rousseau, great point. Something from Jordan Poyer today, especially probably as a rookie, his head probably still spins a little bit. But at the same time, his confidence is going to continue to keep growing. He's going to continue to make big plays for us. He'll continue to be a big part of what we do on defense. To see him grow from the moment he walked in at OTAs to now, it's it's great. But I'm excited to see how far he takes it. The sky's the limit for him. He's only going to be how good as he wants to be. I'm excited to see even when I'm done playing, however many X amount of years from now that is, what he's still doing in the league. Now, Jordan Boyer, I didn't say this in the, in the press conference. I should have said it. Slow your roll a little bit here, please. Okay. Uh, you got a couple of years left, but, um, you know, I, I think Rousseau, this is a huge, development for this defense and to have a guy that you can rely upon. I thought, I don't know about you, Ryan, and I haven't gone back and watched the defense. Like I, I really spent a lot of time when the rewatch watching the offense, cause I knew we were gonna have Ali on, but I really thought that Effie Obata was kind of a nice addition into that lineup. I thought he offered some vi- versatility. I thought that he brought some speed, Harrison Phillips, Vernon Butler, healthy scratches. I think that you can maybe get really creative with, with what you do on this defensive line. And, and that's what I think was such um, the emphasis when they went out and got Afiobata. Yeah, the, the versatility is what, what mattered with him. You know, he, he did it with the Carolina Panthers. He could play inside, he could play outside, and he did a lot of his damage with the Panthers on the inside. And that's what you want. You want to, you, you know, that your offense is going to score a lot of points. So you're going to put these opponents in obvious pass, uh, passing situations. And that's when you can get creative with your front four and, and, you know, Ali mentioned it. The, the Bills love their defensive line rotation. So you could have FAL Bada on the interior for maybe two plays in a row, pull him and, and keep rotating and, and moving your players around. But the, vers- the versatility of an FAL Bada is going to help this team all the way into the regular season, into the playoffs. Hopefully, you know, hopefully f- for the sake of the Bills Mafia to the Super Bowl, you, you have Boogie Basham who has that versatility. Greg Rousseau, who, who's played inside in his career. I think A.J. Epinez at his new weight, probably you don't move on the inside. But they have players that they can utilize. And then, obviously, you have Justin Zimmer behind Ed Oliver, behind uh, Star Latulale, who's been playing good football. He, he's obviously a, a freak of an athlete. So the Bills like this. And one, uh, one last point on Rousseau is I think he ended up playing 42% of the snaps in that game against the Chiefs and it felt like he was out there a lot more based on how much of an impact he made in the run game, the interception, the sack. And, and that's another good sign for him that he did so much in less than half the, the snaps on defense. Uh, so really promising sign from Buffalo's first round pick. One thing on the Titans I want to get to, and we're going to, we're going to deep dive into this, but you know, 
I'm going to put up a post on Derrick Henry and that some of the, you know, whenever the Titans play the Bills or anybody plays the Titans, Derrick Henry is a topic of conversation. Um, he's one of the best running backs in the league, if not the best. And Sean McDermott gave him that, that respect today. But historically, Ryan, this is not a guy that's had success against the Bills. He had two touchdowns against them last year, but a lot of that was the way that this offense was able to move the ball all over the Bills. And he took advantage of some opportunities in the red zone. That's fine. He obviously had the big stiff arm. But if you're looking historically in three games, we're talking about 50 carries, 191 yards for a 3.82 yards per attempt average. Not great. I mean, this is somebody that if I'm the if I'm Leslie Frazier, I'm comfortable with that matchup. I'm probably more concerned about the size of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones if they're both close to 100 percent on Sunday. Yeah, and it's trending that way. Both are full participants. Uh, obviously, last year, the Bills didn't have an answer for A.J. Brown. They were missing Trey in that game. Uh, at least you'll have him in this matchup. But Julio will be a whole another issue in his, his own right. You you have Derek Henry, who the Bills have played well. And then there's Ryan Tannehill. There have been some times where the Bills have played Tannehill really well. There's been other times where Tannehill, going all the way back to his Miami days, has played Buffalo really well. So they haven't actually, you know, they don't have a, a certain blueprint to shut him down or to that has worked with great success consistently so it it is a good matchup I think it's going to be a a little bit of a back and forth game working in Buffalo's favor though is that this Titans defense is is not that great it's it's not a outstanding defense uh Christian Fulton who is who's been their top cornerback looks like he's trending in the opposite direction in terms of he's probably not going to play so that's good news for this passing attack uh and, and obviously the way the Bills have been playing on both sides of the ball as long as this is not something where you, you know you call it the uh the Super Bowl hangover or whatever you want to call it where the, the team's coming off of a huge win and they have a little bit of a letdown game. I just don't see Sean McDermott letting that happen. I don't see the players letting that happen. But unless something like that does occur, I really still do end up liking this matchup for Buffalo based on their offense versus the Titans defense and the fact that Buffalo's defense has been so outstanding this year. They're going to give up some points in this matchup, but I still think they can slow down that Titans offense enough to win the game. Bills, you know, one of the things that has been a big talking point the last couple of, you know, eight days or so, you know, building into the um, the matchup against the Chiefs and what a win could potentially mean. We talked about that last week, what it meant for them chasing that number one seed is that this is a really easy schedule for the Bills. I mean, you're sitting here at four and one. You, you have the chance, five, six, seven, eight, nine. If you win this game against the Tennessee Titans, you have a real honest to goodness chance to go nine and one heading into that Thanksgiving game. And I don't really think that, that's even I'd probably put Indianapolis and Tennessee arguably tougher. I know Indianapolis is going through some tough things right now and they blew things against Baltimore the other night. But I still think that Indianapolis team that the Bills played last year is somewhere in there waiting to try to figure itself out. And if Carson Wentz can get anything going with his offense, we'll see that's in Buffalo. I think that that's going to be a motivational game, too, because even though the Bills won that game, that wasn't one of their best. But I mean, you're sitting here with a real chance to win. You know, you're pull up to run off a nine game winning streak here after what happened against Pittsburgh. This is a you have to take take care of business against the Tennessee Titans just because of where you could be positioned. You know, I I have a hard time believing that the the Los Angeles Chargers are going to get to nine and one considering some of the teams they have to play in their division still in that stretch. They play Baltimore this week. 
Exactly. That's perfectly said. One of those two teams is going to get another loss. And, and, you know, kudos to to Baltimore for coming back and winning that game uh, on Monday Night Football. But their defense looks uh, suspect a little bit. I was really impressed with Carson Wentz. But there's a lot of really tough matchups for all those teams that you mentioned on the horizon. The fact that the the Chargers are just in the AFC West in general, there's going to be some some tough games. You know, I I know that Denver's kind of falling back to earth. I know that the Raiders are going through uh, quite a bit right now. But those are divisional games, and and teams kind of get up for those matchups. So Buffalo does have an opportunity this weekend, or actually Monday night, uh, to make a statement to kind of pick up another really important conference win in terms of AFC seeding. Uh, so you know this, uh, it's another every game is a must win game in the NFL when you're trying to get that number one seed for the playoffs. Don't get me wrong, but it's a huge game for this team. And it's big for their psyche as well. Just like last week's game on Sunday night football was where the chiefs defeated them twice. And, you know, once in the regular season, once in the playoffs, they need to be able to show that they could defeat that team. They've had some success against the Titans in the past, even with, you know, Josh in the lineup. Uh, but last year was a beatdown. The, the Titans absolutely, you know, walloped the bills and, and now it's up to the bills to kind of come back and respond to that loss with a win of their own to further themselves again in that race for the number one seed. The bills were, are very healthy. All of a sudden, Ryan, we were talking like last week at one point, it was a laundry list and most of the guys were still practicing in some capacity, but there was, I mean, it was almost 15 guys deep today. It was pretty much nothing. Uh, we're looking at Matt Milano who returned to practice today. He did practice today. He was limited, but I'll tell you right now, he, before we had to leave the field, we can't watch like team drills. He looked like he was ready to be back full go. I mean, he was, he looked, he, he was in pads. He was running around. He looked healthy. None of the stuff that we had seen leading up, uh, last week. So it, it's an interesting situation. If, if he's fully ready to go, I could see him being back ready to go and play on Sunday, but I could, or Monday night. I also could see them holding him out. Uh, the only other real injury note that I, that I want to make is, um, Taiwan Jones still dealing with that hamstring didn't practice today. I'd imagine that's more of a, just giving him a rest type of situation. He was on the bike, um, backup, uh, offensive lineman, Ryan Bates dealing with, I believe it's an ankle injury. I don't have the injury report in front of me. He was limited as well. That might've popped up today. Uh, so, you know, some, some injury things going on, yeah. but n- nothing like last week. No, uh, much shorter, much shorter than Tennessee's list. Uh, they're, they're going, they're turning in the right direction with the, with the buy here, uh, coming up pretty shortly. So, it's going to be an interesting decision on Matt Milano. You're right, because from what some people have said, too, he looked pretty good in, in terms of what you guys saw today, uh, in terms of you know trending in the right direction, possibly playing. But at the same time, you, you have to make that decision. Is is he needed for this game? Because you just went into Kansas City and defeated them in a convincing fashion with A.J. Klein you know, playing in his role and, and uh, using a certain defense. It, you'd get him 100% essentially after the bye week if you, you kind of sit him again this week. But if you think he's good enough to go, he's such an important cog to that defense that you almost have to get him in there. So that's maybe one of the most interesting decisions to keep an eye on as we uh, kind of get closer and closer to Monday night. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll be back on Sunday at noon Eastern time. Buffalo Bills versus Tennessee Titans official preview edition of the shout Buffalo bills football podcast. Ryan will be back here. I will be in Nashville on location. It's going to be fun. We might even have some surprise guests that pop in. If you're hosting a large party this weekend, get over to tops. Don't waste any time. Check out their huge selection of party platters for a delicious 
effortless and affordable no stress way to impress for complete details stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasy football for ryan talbot i am matt perino have yourself a great rest of the week and weekend we'll see you on sunday shout a buffalo football podcast hosted by matt perino and ryan talbot